and welcome back to State of Mind. It's been a while. I last put out a podcast episode at the start of the pandemic, a mini-series called Are You Coping? I think that question is still so relevant and I hope you are all coping. I also hope that this new series of State of Minds will at least provide some distraction, amusement and learning for you all over the upcoming months. I'm so excited to kick things off and chat to this week's guest, Laura Crane. But before that, I'm really honoured and grateful to be able to introduce you to Davy J. Waterware, who I've partnered with to bring you five episodes in this season of the podcast with guests who all have a strong relationship or affinity to water. I've considered bringing sponsors on board for quite some time, but I've been really conscious of not wanting to just bombard you all with promos and partnerships that weren't genuine. I put a story up on Instagram asking about sponsorship and what you guys thought, and I had a message from the wonderful Helen, founder of Davy J, saying that she'd been thinking about how she could support the work of women who appreciate and enjoy the ocean through building community, experiencing tough situations, and challenging themselves to get out there. We agreed that this podcast would be an awesome place to start. Davy J are an awesome, small, sustainable brand based in Devon who design swimwear for women who love the ocean and they celebrate and encourage everyone to explore the joy that water can bring all year round. Their swimwear is designed for real women, it's flattering and has great coverage and all the suits are double lined so they're super thick and supportive. They're made from a really high quality recycled fabric and their styles are designed to survive a dive and stay on in the waves. They've been tested swimming, surfing, paddleboarding, and doing all sorts of water sports, as well as just running around on the beach after your kids. Their basic aim, which they've pretty much hit the nail on the head with, is to make you feel comfortable, confident, and looking and feeling great whilst enjoying the water. Personally, I'm loving the high-waisted set because the top can be worn as a top and the high-waisted briefs can be folded down revealing the contrasting colour on the inside to form a two-piece set or it can be worn overlapped to form a swimsuit. This has been game-changing for me as I often find that swimsuits are too short in the body as I'm quite a tall gal. Davy J are offering 10% off to all my listeners using the code STATEOFMIND in capitals. So do make sure you visit their website, davyj.org, and follow along on their Instagram at davyjays for some epic lifestyle inspiration. So on to today's episode. And the guest today is Laura Crane. Laura is an ex-professional surfer, mental health campaigner, and all-round amazing human. Laura came to crazy amounts of fame when she entered the Love Island Villa, which we talk about at the start of this episode. But before that, she was making serious waves in the surf scene as a sponsored athlete. The overriding reason that I wanted to chat to her, though, was because I saw her put up an Insta story about an operation she's just had to clear up an ovarian cyst, which brought on severe sepsis and left her in A&E fighting off an infection that's changed her life forever. Those of you that have heard me speak on this podcast before or who follow me on Instagram will know that there are some uncanny similarities in Laura and I's health journeys and it was such a spooky, incredible and overwhelmingly emotional experience talking to someone who literally knows what you've been through. I know Laura's wanted to share her experience with her followers too to help those dealing with similar issues so we both hope that you get a lot from this chat. We've had a bit of a pickle getting to this stage with tech, so fingers crossed you guys can all hear us okay. And a huge welcome to Laura Crane. How are you doing? 
I'm good. I'm good. Not very techy, as we just figured out, but I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, so, Laura, I always start this podcast in the same way. Uh, the first question um, with this series has been, what has 2020 taught you so far? Um, oof, so many things. But I think the main thing that I've really kind of had like ups and downs with is kind of worrying about the future whether that's even like an hour ahead or whether it's the next day or whether it's six months down the line which as we know there is no point at the moment even trying to schedule in anything for that so yeah I think just making sure that I'm not trying to live in the future that I'm just really enjoying the moments that I have right now whether it's something that I you know thought I was going to be doing at this time of the year or not just trying to you know, spend time with the people that I can at the moment and just trying to keep in touch with as many people and just trying to, yeah, make the most of the situation we're in because there has definitely been some really positive things definitely for me that have come from it, just getting to spend a bit more quality time with the people that I love. Um, so, yeah, just not worrying too much about what, you know, what tomorrow holds or what mm. six months down the line holds, just knowing that we're we're doing the best that we can right now. Yeah. Have you found it difficult to make the transition from real contact with people physically to spending so much more of our time on our phones and on our screens purely because we want to keep up with people? But I think, you know, extending that, it means that we're all now spending so much time on our technology. And um, although we kind of need to connect with people in that way, I worry about screen time for people and just like, usage and mental health has it been weird for you transitioning from seeing people and like connecting one-on-one in person to just living in this like weird cyber world yeah definitely I think you know as well as many other people my job does consist of meeting a lot of new people every week as well so I think I definitely missed that aspect of my job definitely in the first lockdown just because it was so foreign it was so new and I think for me by not feeling like I'm doing a lot of things, I almost felt like I was doing nothing at all and kind of beating myself up like, oh God, you know, I need to do more this week and I didn't really do much that week. I just did an Instagram live or something like that, you know, just because you're not actually kind of seeing people and I guess getting verification through that, it kind of makes you feel like you're not completing certain things or whatever. But um I think once I got my head around the fact that it was just kind of like a new age thing that was going to come in and everything was going to be online all of a sudden, which definitely for me is pretty new anyway, as we've just figured out, I'm not very good on tech. <laughs> so, um, I mean, Zoom meetings have been great. Obviously, I miss being kind of with people. But yeah, the phone time, definitely the first lockdown, I was just glued to my screen for like the first three weeks, watching the news, watching how it was all unfolding, you know, looking at what other people were doing and all these kinds of things very like comparative with other people that were doing the same sort of things as me and then I had like a real dip in in my mental health for sure and just like you know what am I doing like I'm just sat at home not really feeling like I'm doing anything much but working out which is you know more than most people could do but I think yeah definitely the screen time and just staring at my phone endlessly and just putting myself into a bit of a pickle was was quite hard in the first lockdown and I kind of you know worked on myself a little bit more as always we've got to keep moving forward and you know working and making sure that we're doing the best for our minds that we possibly can and I looked try to decide to look at it in another way and think okay 
maybe I don't need to be on my phone as much, but the things I am doing on my phone, I can put more time into and a bit more passion into rather than just feeling like I'm doing everything kind of half-heartedly. But Mm. yeah, I think if your job isn't on the phone, then it's almost... (laughs) it's almost harder because you're just scrolling it for, you know, no the sake of scrolling it, you yeah. know? And, and that for me was definitely, I don't know, made it easier knowing that, oh yeah, I'm scrolling because this is work. But actually nine times out of 10, I was just scrolling it to just check out what everyone else was doing and yeah. see if I was doing enough in comparison. So yeah, I think there's been ups and downs with it. I really, really struggled it at the start. And now I've kind of come into the second lockdown feeling like a bit of a pro. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, you never know what next week holds. So we'll, no. we'll see. We'll see. So true. Um, so I guess a lot of people listening to this will, will know you initially from um, Love Island and gracing our TV screens. But I'm really keen to know what your life was like leading up to that and then how things have changed afterwards. So tell us a little, about, a little bit about you and where you grew up and what your life was like and what you did and then, you know, the, the shift that's, that's happened since, um, yeah, Love Island, I guess. Um, well, I... Grew up in North Devon in a little town called Croyd where I learned to surf. Learned to surf when I was around eight or nine um, and just loved it instantly. I'd always been super into sports. I'd literally done every single sport imaginable by the time I was 10. Um, Competed at quite a few sports. I wasn't very academic, really didn't enjoy school. Actually, Sophie Hellier, which is our mutual friend, she used to come pick me up at lunchtimes and sneak me out of school so I could go surf. She did. Um, yes, she did. Oh, so. <laughs> I was like, Sophie, come on. Like, we <laughs> she was like, yeah, Limbus pumping. So yeah, we, um, that, was, that was also helpful for my um, strong dislike for school. But yeah, so then... I got sponsored by Billabong when I was around 12. I competed um, quite a lot in that kind of time frame from about 12 till 20. Um, Just literally traveled all around the world, competing, modeling for the brands that I was sponsored for. Um, And then I think just the constant like traveling and moving and new house every other kind of three or four days, new country every like week really began to take a little, you know, toll on me and I decided that I needed a little bit more structure and I needed to have an actual home where I could wash my clothes in between trips and just feel a little bit more um, in one space because my mental health had taken a really, really big hit at that point, really struggled with an eating disorder. So kind of moved away from my competitive surfing just to focus on myself for a little bit. I moved to, um, I moved to Bali for like two years. And then um, from there, I came back to England um, for about six months. And then I moved to Portugal for another two years and just literally worked on myself, just kind of all the things that I felt that I was missing in my life a little bit, really just gave myself that time to grow as a person. Because I think from going from, you know, I was a kid, I was 12 years old and I was already traveling to France and places on my own to then be all of a sudden 21 and feel like I'd just been in this mad whirlwind of like basically which was my dream when I was a kid but then there was no real kind of transition it felt like for me I was kind of just in this mad rat race of doing something that I deeply deeply loved but then the love kind of was being pulled out of it because I wasn't mentally in the right place for it so 
literally just gave myself two years, really worked on myself to decide what I wanted to do next because I knew it wasn't competing anymore. And then um, Love Island actually contacted my manager two years before I did it to ask me if I wanted to go in. I said, look, I'm not quite there yet. If I'm ever going to do something like that where I'm on such a big kind of platform, then I want to make sure that I can be 100% myself and know that Laura is like a good person and whatever people think about me and say about me that mm. I'm I'm cool with that you know I yeah. know that I'm doing the best I can do so um the following year they asked me again I said yeah you know what I think I'd like to go on TV and just especially that show and I want to be who 15 year old Laura really needed to see on TV when mm. I was young and you know I was a tomboy and I wasn't very girly and I didn't rarely brush my hair um so I think just going on there and just being kind of the strong sporty female that had no idea what to do with the curling tongue um yeah. was kind of what I wanted to, I wanted to be that girl for for me as a kid so that was my initial um kind of reasoning for going on there and obviously the platform that I could have you know potentially walk out with um, to yeah promote the things that I really care about and you know not to kind of follow the the trail that everybody else goes down and the fast fashion and all the kind of you know bits that naturally come with it are some things that mm. I really don't agree with so I think it was just making sure that I was ready to stay really true to who I was and I wasn't going to get tainted by you know big money deals or anything like that that was the big one for me yeah um, and if we're so, yeah, honest, that was like that is pretty much what happens to nine out of ten people that go on that show is that you know that lure of like a huge amount of money from whatever fast fashion brand it must be like quite difficult to say no to that I guess oh 100 percent 100 percent even with you know I've got quite a strong mind about those kinds of things and very strong opinions um and even me, when you're getting offered money like that, it definitely makes you second, you know, second guess. Mm. So if you have no reason to say no, then you're going to say yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it, um, was it kind of strange for you coming out and recognising that you were fundamentally quite a different person to most of the people that you maybe met on that show? Um, and that, but, but conversely, that the general public probably didn't know that side of you and kind of boxed you in with, with all the others like was it difficult for you to kind of forge that path where you said no this is me like I really care about promoting mental health and fitness and I care about sustainable fashion etc etc yeah it took me probably a year after Love Island for people to realize that I wasn't going down that same route as everybody mm. else and that I did have um I think when I first came out as well there was loads of people that you know I had kind of like these super fans that were young girls and also quite a lot of young males as well that were saying how nice it actually was to see somebody in there that, you know, was different and wasn't so driven by the certain things that, you know, other people are driven by. I never wanted to have paps waiting outside my house and these kinds of things, you know, it was never really the fame for me. I would hate to have to have, you know, some of the things that those people have to deal with that come off that show. I really, I take my hats off to them because there's no way I could hack that absolutely no chance and um you know the trolling and all those horrible things I'm I always say I'm so so lucky that I never I never got any trolling I never got any real hate messages or anything like that so I always you know look at myself and think that I was very lucky in that but definitely for me personally as being an athlete before 
and you know building that credibility over a certain amount of years I never wanted that to be taken away from me so I think by the way that I you know decided to go after Love Island that was I felt like I owed that to myself just because of you know the things that I'd done before and I didn't want to I didn't want to kind of I think yeah it was like my family and everyone around me my coaches and all those things you know growing up I didn't want to embarrass them as well you know so yeah um yeah it definitely took a little while for people to see me for who I really was because I was only in there for 10 days so kind of had to tell that story once I was out and um yeah it's been so far so good (laughs) yeah and do you think and this is my last question around reality TV, because as like, a ge- as like a general punter, it fascinates me so much. Um, do you think that anyone that's not been through that can ever truly comprehend what it's like and like what you guys go through and what the aftermath is like? Do you feel like you have a sort of like really special bond with the other contestants because you guys just had this shared experience that, you know, we probably didn't see a lot of it on our TV screens either? Mm. Yeah, I mean, hey, look, I was living in Portugal for the two years leading up to it. So I can't say that I ever watched a full um, series of Love Island prior to me going on. I obviously had seen like bits here and there of, you know, people doing quite well from it. But I never knew the extent and I definitely not even until I left the um Love Island Villa did I know that people were going to recognize me like they did and all those crazy things I actually genuinely never thought that that would happen to me Mm. um just because I didn't really understand the impact that that show actually had on our country as a whole it was it was actually wild um and it was great like I said I had no negative kind of like messaging or anything really no articles online that were like necessarily horrible or anything like that but I think the thing that brings you together as contestants is knowing that every single person is going through a different thing you know people are perceived to be either a gaslighter or they're perceived to be you know a slut or whatever they're meant to you know the show wants them to be that's what they will be when they walk out and that's really really hard and I I take my hats off to so many of the contestants that I have met after and actually met and thought oh you're actually a really you're a really nice person which is bad for me because I've even been on the show and I know how it works but I think that's the thing that keeps you all close together just knowing that a lot of it around it is kind of bullshit yeah um and that you've just got to kind of take everybody on face value and I've got some really really great lifelong friends that um yeah like you said we can speak about certain things and be very open about certain things which to the normal person might sound like a little bit weird or maybe even a little bit conceited sometimes but I think as long as you know, I'm always there for my friends that are obviously a lot more high profile and their worries are very different to my, <laughs> different mm. to mine. Um, mm. Whether they're still relevant is a massive thing for them. Whether the, you know, the paparazzi still follow them home is a big thing. Whether, you know, the news articles are still writing an article about them when they go on holiday and wear their favourite bikini. You know, there's definitely different things that matter to them that matter to me at this point. But um, we've still been through a a crazy kind of transition that will always be there for each other, I think. Yeah, mental. Um, Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's uh, so illuminative for so many of us to hear that. And I love your take on it, to be honest. Um, 
So I wanted to talk to you about, and, and the main reason I asked you to come on the podcast is not just because I wanted to just like ask you loads of questions about reality TV, <laughs> I promise, um, but because um, I follow you on Instagram and we've got some mutual friends and I've been following you for a while and I know that you've been struggling with this um, battle with sepsis and in and out of hospital and you put a story up the other day saying, you'd had a laparoscopy or laparoscopy however you're supposed to pronounce it and you were kind of in recovery and stuff and I just instantly just felt like I, I my heart went out to you because I, I knew exactly what you were going through and I've had two of those myself in the past and I just thought like it's not it, it's a really in medical stand by medical standards it's a super simple operation it's essentially for anyone listening it's keyhole surgery you know the scars are tiny but healing from it is not it's not simple and it's and it's not easy and I think um you know the stories that you were putting up you were so strong mentally and you were already out and about walking and I just thought like you know I know how difficult this actually is and I know how difficult it must be for her to just be being so positive about it online um and if you're happy to share the journey I would love obviously from a geeky point of view like I'm a nutritional therapist and I work within functional medicine so I'm I'm all down for the health stuff but I would love to hear about your journey that eventually um, ended up with your recent operation um well thank you that's so nice um it's a weird one I guess yeah sharing those things is yeah mad but um so about two years ago actually just after Love Island about six months after Love Island I started to get it was like a, I think it was a, yeah, like a Friday evening. I had what felt like the worst period pains. I've always had quite bad period pains. Um, but these were like, just felt like someone had a knife in my stomach and it was horrible. And um, my mum actually had messaged me the day before saying, oh, I'm going to come up to London because you've been a bit quiet and I haven't really heard much from you and I want to make sure you're okay. We'll go shopping. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got just messaged her about saying I've got quite a bad period pains, but I'll be fine by tomorrow. So anyway, mum drives up to London, literally arrives at the front door and I called her about 10 minutes before she's arrived and I said, mum, I think I need to go to hospital. And that instantly for my mum was just so petrifying because I, I would just never be the kind of person to, unless I really, really needed to go, I would never, I would mm. never go. Yeah. Um, I've always hated hospitals. For me, it always meant having time out the water or, you know, um, just it's never, never fun going to hospital as many know um but yeah she literally we drove straight there my temperature was just skyrocket um my heart rate was also incredibly high and as soon as I walked into the hospital they knew instantly that the lady said that I was septic and I had never heard of that term ever in my life I had no idea what it was mum being a nurse she knew instantly but didn't really want to you know stress mm. me out and I said to mum okay are they going to give me the antibiotics these antibiotics or whatever like can we get out of here and she was like, well, Laura, you're not really going to be out of here in, you know, the next 24 hours. And I think that was a big thing for me. I was like, what do you mean? I've never been just ill. My body's never been like ill enough to keep me into hospital. Yeah, okay, I've, you know, had big cuts from the reef and I've, you know, hurt my hand and I've done, you know, a bit of surfing, but that's because I've pushed my body to the limit. But this is, this is a different kind of thing for me. And it, it, it didn't sit with me very well at all. For the first three days I was in hospital, I got a lot worse and they couldn't figure out where the infection was coming from. Um, so my blood infection just got way, way worse, which is what sepsis is mm-hmm. um, to the point where they were just so worried about me that it was kind of at that stage where you've got to make decisions on whether you kind of 
you know risk dying or you you know they start to take limbs and there's all these like things that are being passed around and all these things that people are saying to you which for me was just devastating I was just thinking in my head like this you know it sounds horrible but me personally to you know live a life where I am right now and sport to me is everything and then potentially talking about taking limbs is just I no I can't I couldn't even I couldn't even Mm. you know fathom the thought um and I think that's where my mental health my kind of like mental strength really came in and I just said Laura that this will not beat you like you've beaten so many things whether it's you know surf competitions or bulimia or whatever it is that you've got past so far like you're not going to let sepsis come in and just you know yeah. swipe it all away from you and that was it I started writing affirmations like all day all day all day non-stop literally I read probably wrote through this notebook within four hours of my mum leaving the hospital and that afternoon the doctor came back and was like did some test and they found exactly what it was and it was um a cyst on my ovaries that I'd had that I was aware I'd had for quite a while but you know a lot of women have them and it's not anything to worry about most of the time um and one of them had literally just got infected and become an abscess which was about nine centimeters long by the time they found it um and yeah they drained it and within you know 45 minutes to an hour after I felt worlds better and I was out of hospital like the next day and it was almost like within a click of a finger that I changed my frame of mind that I managed to actually kind of my body decided that we were going to fight it and the you know the answer was just all of a sudden there it was wild but um just yeah the power of the mind is crazy but then that was it that was a that was two years ago and it was fine I didn't really even think about it again and you know obviously it's in your mind and I did a really big cycle last year to raise awareness for sepsis just to there were so many people that were messaging me saying oh like there's not enough people that share about it and I said yeah actually you know I, I didn't know what it was when I went into hospital so did this big cycle thought I was in tip-top condition until about a month and a half ago I went to the doctors because I um, thought my coil had moved and um, they did a quick scan and while they were looking at the scan they just saw that um, I had these funny shaped cysts anyway I went back to my doctor and she had a little look and she said look um, the cyst is actually in your fallopian tube on the right side um, and I think it does need to just come out which shouldn't really sound too scary I suppose because you know they're trying to help you and whatever but I think for any woman as you know as as soon as somebody is talking to you about your reproductive system and maybe it's not going to work as well as it did before and all these kinds of questions that you instantly have I was just I was distraught. I was super, super upset. I literally walked out of the hostel, bawled down the phone to my mum, got home, cried to my boyfriend all day um, and was just, yeah, I was super, super upset about it. I think it's just, you know, it's not, not something until you have kids, you ever really think that you have to, you know, worry about until then. So, so was that the cyst they were were taking out the tube, not the cyst? Yes, they yeah. were going to just basically, they were going to remove the, the tube and the cyst because the tube had basically just become all kind of yeah. mangled up because of like draining the cyst and all those kinds of bits. So um, yeah, they, she called me into hospital literally about a week, a week after I had the consultation um, to get it removed. And the days leading up to it were really strange. I was feeling good. And then I was feeling really, you know, really positive about it. Like this is the best case scenario. You know, maybe my chance of having kids will actually be better at the end of it. 
Um, but then also you've got this horrible feeling where she was saying something about the left tube, maybe that as well, or maybe the right ovary could be damaged in the process. And there was all these kinds of other worries that then would kind of cloud the back of your mind as well. Mm. Um, and that was it. Couldn't have mum and dad or boyfriend in the hospital because obviously COVID. So literally sitting in that room for the hours before I had it was pretty pretty tough but just trying to be kind of strong for everyone around yeah and had the procedure and it was it was great it was best case scenario and um I left and I felt I actually felt fine I walked out of the hospital um I managed to go for a little walk the next day and you know I think I'm probably sometimes a bit too headstrong with that kind of stuff and could definitely have pushed it a little bit too quick too soon but um I kept it super slow I went on really really slow walks and even now two weeks on and I've still not done any proper fitness which is starting to get to me a little bit but um I think it's just filling up your days at the moment I work out most days to fill up my days at the moment just because there's you know not so much going on so I think that's a lot of time at home a lot of time kind of just like Mm. thinking you know what's everyone else doing and comparing but I've just had a operation so I just have to keep bringing myself back to that and knowing that I've got to just yeah. look after myself and things like that but yeah as you know it's 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 pretty tough to oh, just sit got, at home <laughs> just like listening to you tell that story like I'm sweating and I've got goosebumps and it's so weird because like I talk about this all the time as well but like you don't like the similarities in our stories and what's happened to us is uncanny and you just don't I mean I this will ha- I'm 29 and this will happen to me when I was 22 and like you know I'm so many years down the line but it's still like hearing someone else talk about it and then thinking about what happened to me like I could still basically cry right now like it's so it's just really hard because like you push everything to the back of your mind you don't deal with it like I I was the same as you I had like a completely unexplained infection when I was 17 um I had a huge abscess on my left ovary that was the size of a grapefruit yeah you just think like how have I done my whole life with this like grapefruit thing inside me and like I've I've managed and I've coped and I've excelled at school and I've like done sport and then all of a sudden it's like bam it just you reach a point in your body's that just like gives up on you and I had a drain um a laparoscopy and a drain and at the time I was 17 and I don't remember really what they said to me in the hospital but I think they said to my mum basically like she could have compromised fertility later on but I just was like straight out of hospital straight. I was like supposed to be going to a hospital to New Zealand. And I was like straight back into my life. And I did feel different from my friends. Like I did feel like something had changed and they didn't really get me. And I, you know, that was hard being that young, but then, you know, I just, it was such a whirlwind that I, I, yeah, I just like, didn't even think about it. I forgot what they said in hospital. And then it was only when I was 22 and I had like a routine scan and they said, Oh, your left fallopian tube looks infected and like, we should take it out. Um, that my mum started like coming out the woodwork saying you know they, they did say like you might have issues with fertility and all this stuff and again still age 22 like you just assume you're just like you just think to yourself like oh sorry I'll have, I'll have IVF like down the line yeah you know, it's fine but like I'm actually at the point now of the IVF and it's fucking terrifying because like mm. you know you put you your body's been through so much anyway you don't I don't want to go you know I don't want any more medical procedures like in my life and you know, it, you come down to it and you think, oh, well, it might actually not work first time. Um, you know, I'm, my husband's Australian. We've just found out we can't have any IVF on the NHS. Like, 
And it's so weird because, you know, when you go and like the same thing, like because it's a voluntary operation, you're sitting in that room thinking like, okay, cool. I just, I remember the night before I went up to stay with my brother in London. I was with my mom, went to bed thinking, oh, I'm just going to walk through some hospital doors tomorrow and like go under. And it's so weird because the first time I was in hospital, it was, it was like you, it was like an emergency. Um, I'd been ill for two weeks and I was like on my hands and knees, like crippling pain. Mm. no no one knew what was wrong um and it's such a different thing thinking that you're voluntarily like putting yourself under the knife um and then yeah you're so right you just don't think about how it's going to affect you later on and I um when I woke up from that operation they'd actually decided to take out both tubes without me knowing so I mm. woke up as a completely infertile woman which obviously if you still have one it still compromises you but there's a chance you can get pregnant naturally. Um, but yeah, it's just like no one, it's weird because you start talking about it online and then you, so many women have been through similar things and yeah, it's, yeah, it's important to have those conversations, isn't it? How are you yeah, feeling? Definitely. How are you feeling in yourself now? Like mentally, like, do you think about, are you thinking about the future? Like, do you, are you thinking about, um, you know, like what, what it could mean for you? Like going, like going ahead yeah definitely I think trying hey, to just get I, on with everyday I life just, <laughs> I only just managed to get my first serious boyfriend so we're just we're just being stoked about that at the moment and then to have that kind of thrown in it's still quite an early stage of our relationship you know him and I we've talked about having kids and things like that already but you know it puts just this added kind of pressure on a relationship that's you know, he's been absolutely incredible and he, you know, he's been there every single step of the way. And, you know, he said, you know, it doesn't change anything, whatever happens, um, which is obviously really nice, but you know, it does, you know, for your, yeah. for not even just for him, for me personally, it, you know, it means something. And then I think if you can't, you know, be excited for those things and stuff, it is hard because I think definitely the first two weeks before I had the operation it was non-stop in my mind that I couldn't think about anything else I literally couldn't put my energy into doing anything else apart mm. from thinking about that I was totally consumed um and yeah like you said you know I still do have the tube on the left side which is you know great news because they did say to me that um they potentially could have to take both of them out you know while they were doing the procedure but you know, you're still missing half of your kind of reproductive system. So no matter how great anybody says it is, it still plays on your mind that you have mm. less of a chance, I think. Mm. Um, but I think for me, it was weird because I didn't really want to share anything about it. And I didn't say anything to really anybody before I had the procedure done, even close friends. I kept it all very kind of within my family. Um, and then I kind of just, the day after I'd had it done, I was like, wow, that was such a intense experience and I did feel just huge 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 relief after I'd had it done even though it was kind of you know I'd had something taken out of me yeah okay I was gassed that I still had one fallopian tube but just that relief of like it's over you know for me it was the fact that I wasn't going to get sepsis again and that for me is just the worst case now that is yeah. just horrible there is nothing I've ever been through in my life that was harder than that um mm mentally and physically so I think as long as I knew that there was no chance of me getting sepsis again through that same situation I was very very relieved but 
then I kind of thought, do I, do I share this? Because I am, you know, I've always prided myself on the fact that I'm going to be open and I'm going to just be very me and everything I'm going through, I'm going to try and help other people through as well. And I went on that little walk and I thought, you know what, Laura, you're doing so well just to even get out on this little walk. And I just, you know, said a little bit. And I thought if people ask questions, and have questions and I'm going to answer them mm. um, and like you said the amount of people that came back to me and said oh I'm going through something really similar or I'm um, I've got some questions about this and it made me feel like actually do you know what you've done you've done yourself justice by you know sharing this with people and letting them know that hey yeah it is tough and it's okay to cry sometimes and it's okay yeah. to be really vulnerable about it but it's also it's going to be okay you know it's, it's it is for the best in the end because you 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 don't want to end up being sick with sepsis or having something they're not trying to make mm. you more ill than you you know maybe could be so mm. you you can look at it in a million ways I think but the more positive ways that you look at it is always always going to be the best and for anybody that's going through this or been through it is just to like you said, not push it to the side and actually genuinely really feel what you are feeling in the times because I think the more you push it to the side and you hide it and you don't actually confront it, it comes back at some point. It'll always come back and, and you know, mentally haunt you, I think, if you don't properly deal with the emotions while you're having it. But, mm. yeah, it's, it's, it's been definitely testing, especially at a time like this. Yeah. I think it's such a valid point and I, I'm definitely at that stage now where I didn't deal with it. And now, mm. you know, and now I have to confront it and now I have to deal with my emotions. Like there's a lot of um, things within my relationship with my husband that I really struggle with. Like I, I get very like closed off and sometimes like I really struggle with intimacy. Like I still don't let, I still don't like anyone touching my stomach. Like I feel mm. so protective over that area. And um, yeah, I wonder, obviously like, you know, we all rant about how bad social media is for us and you know, our mental health and like this like cyber world that we all live in but I wonder whether if when I was 22 and I was like in the depths of depression and I was living with two girlfriends from uni who bless them like they tried to be there for me but like no one at the age of 22 knows what it, well some people do but they you know they, they had no idea what I was going through I had no idea what I was going through I went into a hospital a fertile woman I came out of a hospital feeling like I needed to like have a funeral for these two tubes because someone had taken them, someone had taken <laughs> bits of me and like probably burnt them. Yeah, 100%. And that was really hard. And like, I wonder if I'd had social media at that stage, whether I would have found solace and actually dealt with it a bit more because when you do put stuff online, like I do now, you know, the, the shared experience from so many women around the world is really, really encouraging. Even like with the IVF stuff that I've spoken about, you know, like so many people getting in touch saying I'm having exactly the same issues with it. Like I've got this mental block around it or me and my partner have, it's not worked out or, you know, and it's like, I, yeah, I just think that there's so much good to come from talking about this. And I'm so glad we're talking about it on a podcast because I don't know how many people are going to hear this, but it's going to be a lot. Um, so yeah, reach out, I guess, is the message if you're, if you're dealing with that. And, and the other thing that's super interesting is, you know, the body holds trauma and manifests trauma in so many different ways. Um, and like manifest trauma on a really physical level. And often if you have any kind of trauma from your past, it will really affect your health down the line. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, that's kind of how I was feeling going into hospital last week. I thought, look, I can be worried about this second tube or I can focus on 
the you know the like the situation we have in hand and it's the mm. right tube and we're gonna deal with that one first and not even yeah, think yeah. about the other one leave that being there sitting pretty and being all okay because yeah. the more you then start to bring the negative energy and think about the other thing then you know over the last probably two years that I, since I had sepsis it's definitely been in my mind like oh my god I've had a problem with that area before maybe I'll never have kids so have I manifested the fact that I'm going to have an issue with it? And have I man- manifested the fact that I had to have that operation two weeks ago? We'll never know. But do I think that it played a part in it? Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, I probably never would have gone to the hospital, never would have got checked and never would have mm. actually found it. So there's, there's so many different ways that I feel about it. And I think, did I make it better for myself by worrying about it and, you know, maybe creating the problem there? Or did I make it better by worrying about it because that made me go and get it checked and made me get removed? You can think about these things in a million different ways. And I think I worried about it so much that, you know, in the end, I did have to have it removed. And, and luckily, I didn't have to have the other one removed. But it, like you said, it's somebody taking a part of you out and it's never going to be chill and it's never going to be no. OK. But it's the way that you look at it, I think, is is the way but any woman going through this I honestly I take my hat off this 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 shit is really gnarly like Mm. this is the heaviest thing that I've ever had to go through the heaviest thing that I've ever had to speak to people about whether it be even my mum like my mum's like my best friend and even speaking to her about it because I knew it was crushing her that I was worrying about it and it is a really personal thing and sharing it is hard but also I think sharing it makes it it's a really normal thing. The amount of women that go through this is so, so high mm. that I just think we, we do have to share it more and we have to be more open about talking about it. And it's not weird if, you know, you're struggling to get pregnant. It's not weird if you've got some sort of like difference to, you know, everybody else. You still, you still just have, you still have a good chance, you know? Yeah. And I think and I that think- was the thing for me. Yeah, and I think, you know, the silver lining of this whole situation has to be that, certainly in my case, was that as soon as I knew that I wanted to have a baby, which is actually the thing that I'm struggling with most at the moment, is that, like, I'm about to turn 30, and I've got everyone around me saying, you know, IVF works better when you're younger, you need to do this now, but, like, I'm not ready, and, like, I'm struggling with that, but the silver lining for me always was that as soon as I knew that I wanted to have a baby, it was straight to IVF, like no messing around. And I think, you know, it's probably the same for you. Like if you, at some point down the line with whoever you're with or whatever, you start trying and it's not working, then you know straight away, like, look, I've had a problem in this area. I'm not going to waste four years trying to get pregnant naturally and then be like in your late thirties and whatever. It's like, you know what you need to do. And I think that's got to be the silver lining because there's going to be a lot of women out there that, that have compromised fertility and they're never going to have any physical symptoms and they're never going to know. And then it will be really tough for them. So I think in our case, like, although it's been super shit in the past, at least we kind of, we know where we're at. And, um, yeah, you can yeah. definitely, I had exactly that conversation with my mum. I said, you know, like, look at this and it's really, really negative right now, but actually exactly what you said, if I, if I had had to deal with this, you know, maybe, you know, for you, like people are saying, oh, you know, you're 30 is like less, you know, less chance of being able to do it. Well, people are not going to find out until they're 34 and then they're mm. going to have to then spend like years doing the IVF. and do. So I think to say the age thing is no one should ever really say that to any woman. Mm. I think that we're so far advanced in everything these days that 
you can't really be saying things like that but definitely just at least we know you and I and anyone who's been through these things we know exactly where our body is right now and I think that is actually quite a, a kind of comforting Powerful. thing to know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely definitely um well I think I'll leave it there like this has just been an amazing conversation and I really hope that anyone that's listening to it has found it useful or empowering or if they want to reach out please do um and yeah thank you so much for sharing um there's there's one final question that I always ask all my guests um and that is what does state of mind which is the name of the podcast um mean to you state of mind awesome name love that um for me I think state of mind is I've have so many different states of mind for sure um but the two that I always try and make sure that I'm balancing out is obviously you've got your like conscious thinking mind that you're always thinking and you're always you know maybe where the negative thoughts come from that just unconscious constant thinking mind about whether you know you've put on a bit of weight or you've you know worried about you know the things I was worrying about last week all those kind of unconscious unnecessary thoughts and then you Mm. have like your other side of the mind that says okay I'm going to go and do my meditation and you sit there and you meditate or I'm going to go for a surf because that's what I like to do and it feels good for me it's that kind of mind and just making sure that I'm not feeding the unconscious state of mind too much and that I'm balancing it out with the side of my mind that makes me feel good and feel happy and just making sure that they're not fighting that definitely the conscious mind is always winning so yeah, yeah. state of mind making sure that there's a balance amazing um laura thank you so much for coming on you are an incredible woman and uh yeah thank you so much for sharing your story with us you too thank you so much for having me it was amazing i love chatting too I'm super grateful to Davy J Waterwear again for supporting my work and partnering with me to bring you these episodes surrounding our mutual love for water. Just a reminder that Davy J are offering 10% off to all listeners using the code STATEOFMIND at davyj.org and follow along at davyjs on Instagram for loads of water-related inspiration. Thank you all so much for listening and I'll see you next week with a brand new episode. Bye-bye. <laughs>